back to another episode of Thick and Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nathan. Nathan, it's been a minute, man. What's good? What is up? We are back for season three. I can't believe we've made it this far. The offseason, as short as it was calendar-wise, I don't know. I feel like I miss basketball. I'm ready to get back into it. Um, we've had a lot to hold us over between the Olympics and and football and, and everything else going on, but it's good to have the NBA back in our lives starting tomorrow night. And there's no shortage of storylines even over the summer, but I, I won't lie to you. I've been getting tired of Kyrie and Simmons just – yeah. over and over and over again and it doesn't help that you know it, that that's the only topic that's been on any nba pod over the summer luckily we didn't i guess subject our listeners to to non-stop talk about that i think there's plenty of coverage already but uh yeah man i'm glad for basketball to be back yeah because like the free agency period wasn't that crazy right with um not that many big names i think kyle lowry was like one of the prized possession of this uh of this offseason so that can pretty much give you an idea of how things went and then it was just Kyrie and Ben Simmons back and forth. And it was kind of funny because it was like one team really wanted the guy to come back and he wouldn't. And the other team really didn't care and he still wouldn't. So it was like different reasons of what was going on, both just in spin cycle of coverage, like you said, with no real news on a day to day basis. But um, quickly for your predictions on those two fronts, do you think one, both or neither end this season with their current teams? I think Kyrie definitely ends the season with the Nets. Okay. I don't think Simmons does. Okay. That's probably where I'd lean. I if I'm the Nets and I'm getting pretty strong reports that New York is not going to lift the vaccine mandate by the time the season ends, which is kind of where it's headed right now, I would think long and hard about it. But to make any deal happen, you'd have to know he wouldn't just quit and walk off into the sunset if he didn't like his ending destination. I think that's what complicates things. Yeah, he's playing hardball now, but he's already softening his stance. You know he's going to get it. Come back. I think so, too. But the whole Durant, like, oh, that's Durant's boy. He wouldn't do him like that. Like, Durant's not a dummy, right? He knows he needs every single bit of help from whether it's Harden, whatever Kyrie is or isn't, to win another title. That's his focus, not his friendship with Kyrie above all else. I got to think if he's not going to come back, Durant would be crazy not to sign off on a trade that made them legitimately better. Oh, yeah. If, if we know anything about Durant, it's that he's a hooper at the end of the day, and yeah. he wants to win. And same with Harden, honestly. Like, I don't think Harden wants to put up with this bullshit e- either. And, you know, his comments to the media have been pretty, you know, just the same old story. Like, he's not going to get embroiled in it, but at the same time, he's not going to Kyrie's defense either. So And, and they're definitely not boys, like, from way back yeah. when, right? They, they don't have no any relationship. kind of relationship. Yeah. Um, but... Dude, the offseason has been fun. Uh, the The pod actually started later than it was supposed to. So for those of us, for those in the inner circle, you know, Karthik visited Chicago um, a week, ago, week and a half ago, I guess, at this point. We were supposed to do a live reading. It was going to be at the United Center uh, before <laughs> the Bulls game. No, I'm just kidding. It was going to be in my living room with no one listening. But both of us were going to be in person, which was going to be a lot better and I think more fun than doing it over Zoom each week. But Unfortunately, uh, a few too many Casamigos shots were consumed. <laughs> um, I followed that up with a, a bachelor party in Miami, so I most definitely have COVID at this point. But it was awesome to see you. It sucked that we didn't actually get to pull that off, though. I know, man. It's like we were we're planning for it for so long, and then finally, when it came down to it, we we couldn't couldn't totally get it done under pressure. We choked. And you actually came for long enough uh, that we easily could have found time, and it was just. One thing after another, and you know, 
It's all good. We'll we'll get it done at some point. New York, maybe. Uh, in in due order, but how else was how how was your summer? Did you uh, would you replace basketball with here? Man, the Bucks look been, great. Yeah, the Bucks look great. You know, UCLA looks great. This is the year of heart that we talked about this quite a while ago, right? It's the year still ended. going on. Yeah, how yeah. long is this fucking year, man? It's like <laughs> month sixteen of the year of Karthik. The the Giants, you know, they they went out, they lost in a very kind of heartbreaking fashion. Heartbreaking fashion. Controversial controversial call, but that was also going well for me. Chicago um, hero Chris Bryant, right? He was the one that called that got called for that uh check swing, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. Yeah. But um but yeah, now it's back to basketball, man, and let's see if my luck continues. You know, there's a lot of hype around the Kings this offseason. Um, you know, Tristan Thompson's getting a lot of buzz. So we're talking about big free agent signings. You know, that might be one that where's the hype coming from? Like Sacramento beat writers or the PR staff of the Kings themselves? Davion Mitchell has been locking people up. They're undefeated in the preseason. It's uh, they're summer league champs. Summer league champs. This might this might be the year we finally break the 15 year postseason streak. So let's see. Were we? Did we end up recording after? I think we did. Right, we kept recording through the summer league, so we were able to talk about that title. Otherwise, that could be the first half of the podcast is the we Kings, <laughs> Kings run. That. That's what everyone wants to hear, I'm sure. Yeah, I um, think we did touch on it. Because the Olympics were still going on, too, so we yep. kept that going. Um, all right, well, we're back. We're going to run through uh, over-unders. We're actually going to do this in two parts. Release part one Tuesday morning. It's Monday night right now that we're recording. Part two will release Wednesday morning. Um, so part one will be the Eastern Conference. Part two will be the Western Conference. We do tip off tomorrow night, Bucks versus Nets, which is going to be awesome. Uh, Harden and Katie get to watch Giannis get his ring. And then uh, Lakers-Warriors, which, you know, is more of like a let's let's bill LeBron versus Steph on opening night than it's like specifically the two best teams in the West. You know, I think one yep. of those two uh, has a, has a uh, you know, claim to that. But, but nonetheless... Uh, so we can't wait to go. And then I think there's uh, a bunch of other stuff. So what we'll do is tonight we'll go through these tomorrow West and awards previews. Cause we're going to, we're actually going to, we need to give ourselves some credit. Cause you had Jokic and I had Embiid last year. Both were 25 to one. They finished one, two. And of course, of course, Jokic won. We got to see if we can pull that kind of luck out again with our predictions. You know what? I don't think we ever get a, got the chance to do a proper victory lap around that. So Let's take a look back at what we said back then. So here is my MVP pick. I'm going with Nikola Jokic on the Denver Nuggets, your boy. 20, 25 to 1 right now. Yep. Now the case for Embiid is that he is unlocked by Doc Rivers. Um, yeah, we, we impress ourselves, man. I'm just, it's hard <laughs> to be this knowledgeable about basketball in addition to many other topics. Uh, Around the world. If only we had put money on on if only behind yeah, our predictions, right. man, we would have been. If only I stopped chasing player performance doubles and actually did smart future bets. <laughs> um, speaking of which, first one tomorrow night, I got Durant over thirty and a half points, Harden over ten and a half assists, Chris Middleton two plus threes. That's plus four twenty five. So oh, God. that's how we're gonna get things started. Um, <laughs> All right, so let's start with the uh, – we're going to go alphabetical order. That means we're going to start with the Atlanta Hawks, whose over-under is 47.5. 
course, everyone remembers last year they finished uh, in a six-game series loss to the Milwaukee Bucks in the Eastern Conference Finals. They probably have the most continuity of any team in the whole NBA uh, from last year to this year. So they're pretty much bringing back their entire rotation. You know, they made the midseason addition of Lou Will, uh, who ended up playing a bigger role for them than Rondo. But other than that, everyone's there. You know, DeAndre Hunter was hurt. Uh, in the playoffs. Cam Reddish was hurt in the playoffs. They got both of those guys back healthy. Uh, they do uh, have a Kongu out for most of this season, so they'll have a you know shortened rotation with the big men. But where do you land on the Hawks? 47 and a half. I'm going over. This team, um, I was hard on the Hawks at the beginning of last season. They proved me wrong. Trey proved everyone wrong. They're bringing everyone back, man. The continuity is going to be huge for a team like that um and you know it's a deep roster and a deep roster means they're going to be primed for a regular season run last year they had the injuries to bogey deandre hunter cam reddish gallo a lot of guys missed a lot of time and so i i think that won't be the case this year it won't be as bad as it was delon wright was a nice pickup so he played for the kings uh last season and he was a really good backup to fox he's one of those guys who is jack of all trades, master of none. I think solid defense, playmaking, shooting, and that he'll be a good backup to Trey. Can you know spell Trey for for good portions of the game? Um, and overall, man, I think John Collins is the other guy who they obviously signed him to the the big deal. Um, and I thought he he found a little niche for himself last year. With once they brought in Capella, they depended on him less down low, getting those rebounds. He stretched the floor a little bit more, became more of a three-point shooter, a uh, high-energy guy who can run up the floor, run the pick-and-roll with Trey. And I, I think that is only that connection is only going to get better. And then ultimately it comes down to Trey and what you believe and how good he is. And yep. he proved to me last year he's not a bad team, good stats guy, which early in his career looked like he was headed down that path. So – there's not much more to say to this team. 48 wins, easily doable. I think they'll be a top four seed. And if you get top four, you're you're in that 48-50 mark. So I'm going over. We're going to start things off hot here. I'm going over and a lock. Uh, we're going to do three locks per per conference. I didn't tell you this ahead of time, so you have to decide now on the fly which ones you're Well, this was going to be my lock, but I, I'll pick some other ones just because you've got it too. So. All right. We're going Atlanta Hawks over lock. So everything you said is true. Three, Two things that I think worth mentioning. One, they paid a lot of money this offseason to keep their guys in-house, right? You're talking $173 million extension for Trey Young, $125 million for Collins, $64 million for Kevin Herter announced today, $46 million for Capella. This is on top of the $72 million they gave Bogdanovich last summer and the $60 million they gave Gallinari. So everyone is getting paid, which means Hunter and Reddish are going to fight for the next people uh, to be in line to get those contracts. This is where it could get dicey, right? If we want to talk, we both like Atlanta. We both think they're deep. They're they're complete. Trey Young, like you said, has turned into a magician on the court. Everything's working for them. As long as they stay healthy, I think they're going to comfortably be in the low 50s. What's going to happen when, with all these mouths to feed when now not everyone has gotten paid, but most have? That would be the only question to me. Uh, second being like the Nate McMillan turnaround from Lloyd Pierce was incredible last year. What happens when teams have gotten a little bit more film on him? And it's not like he's gotten this long track record of these massive, uh, you know, 
overperforming teams like in Indiana, Indiana, in Portland, he ran its course. He ran into his course there too. So that has a potential to happen in Atlanta, but I still like the over. There's, there's really not much um, doubt in my mind unless uh, injuries creep up. That would be the only thing. Yeah. And you know, it's a good point. All these guys got paid. There's a lot of mouths to feed on that team. I think what helps though, is the fact that when you go through a postseason run like they did and you get a taste of that success, guys are more likely to buy in. You know, this yeah. wasn't like a first round flame out and now guys are more concerned about their minutes and their roles. I, I think this team will be bought in. So I'm bullish on them too. All right. All right. Next, we have the Boston Celtics. They're over under set at 46 and a half. Um, you look at some of the moves they made in the offseason. They signed Dennis Schroeder, Josh Richardson, brought back Al Horford and Enos Cantor. But then on the flip side, they did lose Kemba, uh, Evan Fournier, short stint there. And then my boy Tristan Thompson, who I said, you know, might be the acquisition of the year uh, on the Kings. Um, <laughs> so what are you saying for Boston over under? Because of the Tristan Thompson loss and pretty much nothing else you said, I'm actually going to go under on Boston. So my logic is this. They do have a really deep team with a bonafide superstar at the top in Jason Tatum and a great number two in Jalen Brown. My problem is I don't know that the guys that they're counting on beyond that are either have much left in the tank or have accomplished much on this stage. So they're kind of mixed between have we seen the best of them in the Al Horford, Marcus Smart camp, Tristan, you know, or, are we, or you know, even Enos Cantor, or is it the, you know, the Robert Williams, Neesmith, Peyton Pritchard, all these young guys who have flashed at times, uh, but haven't put together consistently strong performances. And now, because they've lost some of those other veterans ahead of them, are going to be counted on in a way that they haven't been before. Add in the fact that Brad Stevens is no longer the coach, and he was always good for a few wins just on in-game adjustments and all the tactician stuff that he did. And I think Ime Udoka is a great potential coach, but year one doesn't mean that he's going to roll out and immediately be successful. We've seen people come from Pop's tree with varying degrees of success. For every Mike Budenholzer, there's a Brett Brown, right? So I think there's a lot of question marks in Boston. The 46 and a half doesn't scare me as much as I think it could be just right under. I still see this team probably being outside of the play-in, meaning in the top six, I think I like that 46, 45 number more than I like anything uh, above that, even with uh, Tatum taking another step. I'm going under. Yeah, well, I also went under, but, but this one was a tough one for me. <laughs> Season three, like we've never left, you know. <laughs> this one was a tough for me because, you know, here's the argument. I'll give you an argument for the flip side. So they're one of the worst clutch teams last season. I think it was well-documented how poorly they play, they performed in the fourth quarter in tight games. Um, they were outscored by 57 points in clutch minutes, which I think was one of the worst in the league. And this is one of those stats that there's going to be some positive regression where they lost more games than they should have last year because of just, you know, unfortunate uh, moments in the clutch. They'll pick up a few wins this year just from that alone. At the same time, 47 wins puts them at that four seed, five seed. And I just don't see them being better than Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, or Atlanta. I mean, we're both already high in Atlanta. Yeah. And New York and Indiana are going to be in that range. Like the East Miami is deep will this be year. around there. Miami will be there. Um, and, you know, you mentioned some good things about the they're relying on a lot of young guys. And especially at the guard position, they still don't have no. great playmaking there, right? Like, Schroeder is not a playmaker. Uh, and then 
Peyton Pritchard, like how many, you know, he only he's only going to play a certain amount of minutes. Neesmith is a pure shooter. And guys like Josh Richardson, you know, at this point, we know what they are. Um, Horford, yeah. Canner, they're on the older side. So nothing about this roster screams that they're going to make a substantial jump from last season. So I have a hard time going. And, and the playmaking point is good, right? Because what we've seen from Tatum and Brown, as good as they are, they don't make anybody around them better. And the plan as of now is to start Marcus Smart at point guard. Uh, I think he could do it if you had like a, for example, when they had Gordon Hayward, it would work with a Marcus Smart there who both of them facilitate an up almost as secondary playmakers. But between the two of them, there's enough ball movement. There's enough, even with Kemba, right? But like right now, if he's being counted on to get everyone into the offense and coming off the bench, like you said, that's not Schroeder's game. That's not Pritchard's game. Where are they going to get that facilitation from? I'm interested to see what Tatum does this season from that standpoint. I think it's an area of emphasis for him. But can he make the leap the way like a Paul George did, where he at least became a little bit better, or even a Kawhi, right? Kawhi was never a passer, now is a six-assist game guy. I don't see that in his future. Like I haven't seen anything from him in the past that would indicate he can suddenly turn into you know, someone who's not going to be that ball stopper. Uh, on the wing so that you know that would be the 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 big question mark that I think is going to create a mucky offense at times but all right next up we have the Brooklyn Nets this is the highest over under in the conference and actually in the league so they're at 55 and a half as you know uh Eastern Conference semifinals loss in game seven uh to Milwaukee Durant's toe on the line sent that game into overtime and Milwaukee ended up winning so you know, we mentioned Kyrie up at the top. That is essentially the biggest question in terms of this roster. Before this all came out, they somehow had three top 15 players and an extremely deep team, right? They had uh, depth at guards, wings, and bigs. Uh, now they're going to be counting a little bit more on Patty Mills, who was probably their biggest name acquisition this offseason, but also have Paul Millsap. LaMarcus Aldridge came back from the hard condition. You know, they brought Blake Griffin back at a really cheap number, which I think people expected him to maybe go seek more. So where are you on the Nets, given everything's going on with them, but still have, you know, maybe the game's best player leading the ship? I'm going with under. I think they've got, I mean, the talent is undeniable. I just think that, you know, first of all, Kyrie is a big question around, and um, how much is he going to play? Is he going to get traded? There's some uncertainty there. I think Jeff Green is going to be a pretty big loss. Um, He played a critical role for them in the regular season, especially when some of those guys were in and out of the lineup. He played that kind of of jack-of-all-trades role. I have a feeling they're going to rely – I mean, they're relying on Blake, and I know Blake was great down the stretch last season. But when you're relying on Blake, LaMarcus Aldridge, Paul Millsap, those guys are going to battle injuries. I don't know how they're going to get heavy minutes out of all those guys. And I think they're just going to manage minutes carefully this year. Um, if Durant, I know a lot of people think, is going to have an MVP-type campaign. But at the same time, he knows what the, the prize is bigger than you know what, what the regular season victories. And so I think they're going to be careful. This team, no matter what, even if they only have Harden playing, even if they only have Durant playing, they can win games on their own. And if all three are playing, they're going to be virtually unstoppable. I just think with the minutes, the injuries, I don't have confidence in them going over 55 and a half. So I'm going under. It's an over for me. Here we go. Okay. So okay. the reason is, is what you said at the top. This guy's a hooper, man. 
He doesn't sit out when he's not hurt. Same with Harden. These guys play. They just like playing basketball. They don't really like doing anything else. Well, <laughs> Harden does, but Durant, for the most part, when they're between the lines, it's all they want to do is go. That doesn't mean they're going to play 38, 40, 42 minutes a game, but I just don't see them missing 20 games apiece for load management. I know Durant came off a really intense year, coming off the Achilles, playing in the Olympics. You know, Harden had that injury, which was basically the first one of his career that had any sort of significance. So I get the reason to kind of take it easy with them. But everything indicated last year that when either of them played, they won. Uh, When they both played, they dominated, like you said. Now, the Kyrie piece becomes really problematic only for this reason. If they have two of three on the court anytime, they're almost always going to be favored. Now this doesn't allow them to rest on a schedule that still keeps them competitive night to night, right? Because they're going to have one short no matter what. I still like, uh, you know, Harden in Brooklyn last year, man. He was so fucking good. Like, it was unbelievable. Like, after what we saw in Houston and him being like 45 pounds overweight to come back, play the way he did, and ultimately probably caught up with them, right, with the hamstring injury. But by all accounts, he's healthy. He looks in better shape. And I think Durant's back. And, I mean, Durant's 33. Uh, This is year 15 for him. So there's not a lot of chances left to be the title favorite. So to your point of taking it easy and playing the long game, that's certainly going to be on their minds. At the same time, I think they're going to win so many games comfortably when it's almost going to be like when the Warriors were winning – high 60s, the 73 win. Steph was only playing like 32, 33 minutes a game because they're just blowing people out, right? So even though he was playing 75 plus games, it wasn't the intensity of, hey, I'm fighting for the seventh seed or every night I have to be my best. I think they have enough depth. They have enough star power to to be in the high 50s. So I'm going over. That's, that's all good points. I just think this team resembles less that Warriors team and more the Miami Heat teams. Like one of those middle years where you know, they were really good, but ultimately the number of wins they had was in that 55-56 range. I don't yeah. even know. One year they didn't even finish the top seed, right? Um, yeah. And so, even the Cleveland years, right? Like one year they were the four seed. I think yeah. they won like 51 games and yeah. LeBron so, was so, out, in and out of the lineup, things like that. Yeah, so this one will be interesting though, but I could easily see it going over and this team could be like historically good and no one would be surprised. Um, all right. Next. You know what's funny, by the way? With as much attention as this team gets nationally, like nobody gives a shit in New York. Still, like Kyrie is talked about on Twitter and in on talk shows and podcasts, but like what the Knicks are doing, which we'll get to in a second, and just how excited everyone is for like kind of what year two of Tibbs is gonna look like with a much deeper roster than I think they had last year. They are more excited and more kind of locked in there. 44 wins from the Knicks than they would be from a finals run for uh, for the Nets, which I just think is incredible. I know it's a new team to that area, but they've been playing in Jersey for 40, 50 years. So, and have yeah, these stars, it's, it's wild. It's really weird. Like they just feel like a team that everyone watches from afar. There's no like, yeah. local fan base or support. Um, like, have you ever met a Nets fan? No, I really have. Like I have no one. Like I know people who's, Favorite player might be Durant, but then a lot of people hate him, right, because of the Warriors thing. I don't know anyone who even likes Harden like that all yeah. that much other than Rockets fans, but now they hate him because he, he bailed on the team. And Kyrie's probably the most polarizing, hated player in the NBA right now. So not only does the team have no fan base, the individual players don't seem like they do as much as, you know, the Stephs in Golden State or LeBron wherever he goes or Giannis in Milwaukee. 
A lot of kids, yeah, it's like kids would like Durant, Kyrie. I don't think anyone likes Harden. Um, no. It, so, yeah, which maybe it's sad because he's that good historically. I just don't know that he gets appreciated that way. But why is it that we've met Jets fans, Mets fans, but never any Nets fans, right? Because, I mean, they were, like you said, they were in Jersey for a long time. Like, you'd think they'd have built some kind of base, but I guess the Knicks are just culturally like, well, that's Such the a big thing. Team we do know people from Jersey, right? Especially being yeah. Indian, we know many people from Jersey. <laughs> um, and they just don't care. I don't know. Like, the Nets played in, like, freaking Newark, and nobody give a shit. And, like, yeah. the Knicks weren't good, but the Nets were also not, like, I mean, other than the kid teams, they didn't really have this sustained run of success. Yeah. So, all right. Nonetheless, go, let's move up. on to the next team. This is yep. the Charlotte Hornets. Okay. They're when. Total is set at 38 and a half. Now, this is a team that surpassed all expectations last year. LaMelo Ball, you know, was the one rookie of the year. Um, and they got into the play-in game, right? No. They got into the play-in game. They ended up getting smashed by... Smashed. Indi- but Indiana. still, being in the play-in game, big jump for this team. They are, you know, they've added Kelly Oubre, Ish Smith. They drafted Book Knight. Um, who a lot of people are high on. Uh, they lost a couple guys. They lost Cody Zeller, Malik Monk, Devontae Graham, all guys who played pretty good minutes for them. Uh, so what do you think about them? They're going to continue to make the ascension upwards? or uh, I have the under on Charlotte, and the one reason I do is health. I think when they had Gordon Hayward and he was playing well and healthy, they looked good. They looked like a team that was actually going to clear the plan, uh, you know, be ahead of seven at one point. I just think that health is going to be a factor. And as much as I like a lot of guys on their team, I don't think they have enough star power to, to they, they kind of need to rely on their depth. And, you know, LaMelo had an injury last year. Hayward had an injury last year. And that's something that I could see, you know, Hayward, gets hurt a lot and LaMelo is not the, you know, the biggest frame out there and Rozier is not the biggest frame. And, you know, book Knight is going to have to play a pretty big role without, uh, you know, without Malik Monk there, who was really good for them and without Devonte Graham. And so suddenly you're counting on young guys. So first year players, second year players, you know, you still like to see a little bit more consistency from the front court. Um, then you throw Kelly Oubre into the mix, who's the fucking definition of inconsistency. So I just don't know what to expect with them on a night to night basis. I think they're going to put up some, crazy highlights like they have a really exciting complement of players and i think if the future is still bright for them like i think Lamelo is going to be a multi-time all-star this is not quite the year that they make that jump which i think is going to frustrate a lot of people in charlotte so i'm going under all right i'm going under and i'm going lock oh i wasn't uh, ready for that i i just don't buy the hype yet i agree with everything you said i, I think they're still a year out um the big man depth is concerning. Okay, they already relied quite a bit last year on Cody Zeller. Now it's it's all on Mason Plumley's shoulders. Tough, um, it's, it's tough. One. Yeah. <laughs> it's tough. And they were never a great shooting team percentage wise. They're never a great half court team. This is a team built for the transition. The problem is they haven't improved their shooting. They haven't improved their ability to run a transition offense. So they're going to be pretty much, in my mind, the same team as last year. But like you said, the injury concerns. Um, you know, I and even you know when Lamelo was out last year, they actually did pretty well. It's not like you know, if Lamelo had played the whole season, this team would have been even better. Um, I just Are you still trying to make your Tyrese Halliburton Rookie of the Year case. I still think he got robbed, man. 
Uh, Tyrese is a team player. Bringing up LaMelo on off splits right now. I mean, LaMelo's great. I'm not going to like deny no, that. No, but, but they were fine without him. They were <laughs> fine without, uh, without him. Um, but they had I, guys I just, like Graham, who they don't have anymore. Yeah, Devontae Graham, Malik Muck, dude, those guys played a lot of minutes, took a lot of shots. And yeah. yes, Book Knight is, you know, and Ish Smith. And U- like, Ubre shot, what, 30% from three last season? You know, I know they're hoping that last year was a blip, considering the rest of his career he's been a much better shooter. Yeah. But what I saw of Ubre, and because, you know, he was on the Warriors, and we get a lot of local Warriors games here, he was terrible. And and I just, I, I just don't think, especially on that team, where he's going to be doing the same thing, just jacking up shots, except not with a spacing of Steph Curry. I, I don't see him being a significant addition. So I, I like the under. I like the lock. I think this team will be 34-35, so a good four or five wins under. Yeah, and the big man piece is the one that's really going to hurt them because Kai Jones, as much as he might have a promising yeah. start, like we've seen rookie bigs, James Wiseman, even last year, or um, uh, the guy, Jalen Smith, the guy who couldn't even get off the bench yeah, when Phoenix was, you know, when Aiton was in foul trouble, when they had injuries, he still, Sarge got hurt, he still wouldn't play, right? So they played Frank Kaminsky over him. And it's just take, it takes a long time for big men to learn NBA defenses because they have to be the fulcrum of all the, you know, the switching and the rim protection. It's a lot. And I, okay, what are you going to do when Plumlee's either hurt or out? It's not, not, not very uh, rosy outlook. Um, okay, next up. The Chicago Bulls, probably the most exciting offseason team. Uh, I know people in this city are fired up uh, because for the first time since probably the Rose Butler era, do they have any semblance of excitement in terms of the players around the team, in terms of like what the future potential looks like? They spent a lot of money. Uh, it remains to be seen whether it was all worth it, but... You know, obviously they added Lonzo on a four for 80 deal. They added DeRozan, which everyone felt was a pretty big overpay, but they got him three for 85. And really, you have to count Vucevic as a new player because after they got him last year in the deadline, you know, Levine got COVID and it kind of all unraveled anyway. Um, You know, they signed Caruso. They do bring back Patrick Williams, which is basically the only guy in the starting lineup interested in playing defense. Uh, Their over is 43 and a half. Um, Where are you at with this one? This number is inflated way too high. There's too many expectations around this team. Like, they were not great last year, even after the acquisition um, or even some of the trades they made. That being said, I am still going over because I have never been more excited about a team, and I just want this to work. I'm going to will it by just saying that they're going to go over and hope it happens. Now, here, here are the promising things for this team. Zach Levine, and I know we shouldn't get caught up in what happens in the Olympics. That but is gonna be how, my, this is going to be my point, too. <laughs> how he stepped up, the defensive intensity he showed, the role he kind of played as one of the top guys on that team. I don't know. I think guys like Zach Levine, like you play in an environment with those kinds of stars, with those kinds of stakes, it changes your outlook, right? And he already took the leap as a player last season. I think he's talked a lot this offseason about being bought in on defense and doing the little things to help a team win and understanding the importance of all that. I think that matters. So I, I'm high on him. This team was also, despite not taking off after the trade, they were a 500 team with Vooch and Levine playing, both playing. So it was a small sample size, but it, you know, in the, the games they did play together, they were a 500 team. And you look at the changes they made, you know, you can look at DeRozan and Lonzo and Caruso and wonder how this is all going to work. 
This is a team that turned it over a lot last season. They were one of the highest teams, I think, in turnover rate. You get Lonzo Ball, a little bit more stability in the backcourt. You get a guy like Caruso, who's also a smart player. Um, and yeah, the defense is not there, but you know what? This team is going to be running and gunning and trying to outscore people every night. And I think they'll, they could hit 44. Most likely they'll go under, but I, I really want it to happen and I'm hoping it happens. So I'm going over. I, I totally agree with you on basically all points, including that this is very inflated. It should be like 41 and a half or 40 and a half. Yeah. I'm also going over because nothing would make me happier than to see this Bulls team be good. Um, it's got a lot of the elements that everyone in like the, the, you know, the arrogant NBA analytics, Twitter community, like hates about basketball. And I want it to work because it's going to prove a lot of people wrong that a guy like Vucevic and his defensive limitations can't be the center on a good team or DeRozan who everyone thinks should like retire and be like banished from the NBA. That's how how much the analytics community hates him. Right. So I can't wait for some of those things to play out. I agree with you on Levine. I think he can be a good, better two-way player. I won't say good one. Um, And a big part of that might just have to be with, you know, the scoring burden. Like we've seen it in DC with Bradley Beal, where he was never a good defender, but he at least was competent in the years that Wall was a 20 point per game guy. And they had other, you know, they had Trevor Ariza, they had Otto Porter, you know, Marcin Gortat. Even if they're serviceable, they don't have to be stars around Beal at the time. He looked way better than he has the last couple of years when he's a 30 point per game guy and absolute sieve on that end, right? Sieve, not sieve, I like overpronounce that um, for now. um so I, I i think even if DeRozan's not a good defender the fact that he can go get you 20 and 7 is going to help levine you know conserve energy and you know hopefully the you know i i think you're right in that it didn't really work last year we're all kind of ignoring that that it was like actually pretty bad um but i'm writing some of that off to COVID and some of it off to just trying to incorporate a pretty big player like vooch on the fly um i like the over i I don't, you know, I was never going to put it in the lock category, you know, but I do think that the defensive limitations are overblown um, in the playoffs. Yes, that's going to be a factor, but I think they can get by night to night with this much firepower. The real issue is going to be depth. Um, If they have any type of injuries to one of their main four, and I'll throw Patrick Williams in because he's pretty important. So five, there's just not a lot behind them. They sacrificed a lot to get these guys in sign and trades. And that's going to be really what what hurts them. And, you know, I'm sure they're going to be a candidate for buyout uh, guys, you know, February, March, April. So we'll see. We'll see who they can land uh, to bolster the team a little bit. To, to add to your point around the, the analytics community kind of looking down on this, it's in so many ways, right? It's in the the fact that some of the players you're getting, the fit, um, you know, and then it's also the fact that you're going all in on a team that's ultimately a middling Eastern team, right? Like, don't they say that's not what you should do? It's either lottery or championship yep. um, and anywhere in the middle is purgatory in the NBA. Yeah. But I love it. Why not swing for the fences? I mean, dude, it's like, I think this is where we forget why we watch sports. Like it sucks to root for your team to lose. Like as yeah. much as you want to play the long game and you're like, Oh, this is the worst. We're 42 and 40. Like at least 42 out of 82 times you had a happy outcome versus exactly. 22 out of 82. And then you probably get to miss the draft pick anyway, because the whole reason your team went 22 games is you're all fucking bunch of idiots. So <laughs> the reality is like, we've forgotten, like it's turned into such a zero sum approach to, to sports. And I think part of that is to, is 
part of that's always persisted, right? Like we've seen teams be like, oh God, I just want the number one pick to go get the Tim Duncan, right? You'd think years ago to 97 or to get Shaq and all this stuff, but not every team has won with that mold. And if you look at the contenders, there's very few that like, there's very few times where all the contenders were built with that tanking mindset. They, yeah. they happen a lot of different ways. And so, you know, all that to be said, they want Levine to stay and this is the best way they know how to do it. And I agree with that approach, all things considered, because he's happy and that means that he's more likely to stay than not. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, you're going to get to see them this year live in person. I bet you're going to go to. Yeah, I definitely want to go because they didn't have, uh, you know, fans last year. So and they I think the Bulls were the only team in the NBA that never ended up allowing fans because by the time like they were going to, they didn't make the playoffs. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's going to be fun. I think the stadium's going to be crazy. Um, yeah. You know, Bears fields at least is starting, but the Bears are mediocre. The Cubs gutted their team. White Sox yeah. are out of the playoffs. So all eyes on the Bulls now. All on the Bulls. All right. All right. So next. Yeah. What do we have next? Mine, right? Yeah. Yep. Cleveland. Cavaliers, 26.5. Now, this is a team, lottery team last year. Um, they did make a lot of moves this offseason. They added Jared Allen, uh, Laurie Markkinen, Ricky Rubio, and then they drafted Evan Mobley, of course, uh, with the, the second pick. And the no, third pick? Third pick. Yep. Third pick. And then they did lose Larry Nance, Della Vadova, some Cleveland staples over, over the years. Um but yeah, they're at 26 and a half. What do you got? I went over on this one. And Cleveland is now entering year four, I think, of being terrible in the post-LeBron. This is LeBron's fourth year with the Lakers, right? Yeah, so this is going to be their fourth year of having an over-under firmly in the 20s. Uh, they've continued to add a lot of young talent. It's yet to actually turn into anything. I think this is the year we get a glimpse of, of the promise of the future. I see them going... 30 and 52, 31 and 51. To me, Sexton is actually an extremely underrated player. Like if you, okay, you're going to think I'm crazy, but if you look at his year-to-year progression, his size, his age, it looks very similar if you take away the win-loss records to a certain Donovan Mitchell playing in Utah. And I'm not saying he is as good as him. I'm saying that there's a lot to like about the way he's improved his scoring output and his efficiency every year. Like, he's not the kind of chucker that people seem to want to paint him as, right? Like, he's 47, 37, 84 last year, something to that effect. And so you're talking about a guy who can get consistent buckets. He's an undersized guard. Darius Garland is also undersized, which is what gave him so many defensive problems. That's why I think drafting Okoro last year, Mobley this year, is going to really fortify that. Trading for Jared Allen, they have three-plus defenders playing with those two. Um I, I didn't really understand why they needed to trade Larry Nance and bring in Laurie Markkinen. Like that was a lateral and potentially sort of negative move to me, um, unless Nance asked out, which, you know, I doubt he did because he loves playing in Cleveland. He's from there. So I had the over. I think there are questions about the bench and the, the Kevin Love shadow and how many games he quits on and them <laughs> blames mental health for. So. I, I'm going over on on Cleveland, but you know, keeping my reservations on a few things. So I have the over for them as well. Um, and for me, it, the Rubio acquisition is huge because I think one of the problems is you had a lot of talent at the guard. You have Colin Sexton, Garland, but these guys are scorers. Um, Rubio is going to get them into their offensive sets. He can kind of dictate that offense a little bit more. Um, although Darius Garland last year, you know. 
was looking through his numbers, he he steadily improved and he showed like playmaking chops. He had a 30% assist rate. So he's more, he's a multifaceted player. He's going to be really good this year. And I think, you know, I think Cleveland could potentially trade Sexton. There's There are a lot of rumors around, you know, them maybe getting rid of Sexton. I, I believe everything you said, like Sexton has really improved his game. He still gets a bad rep because I think his rookie year, you know, remember he was labeled as like a chucker. The yeah. team, remember he, his teammates didn't like him. There are all those rumors that like, yeah, no he plays with this intensity that's like, I'm the best player on the court, everyone get out of my way. And you like that sometimes, but as a rookie who's in an inefficient chucker on a bad team, it's going to obviously rub people the wrong way, right? Yeah, but he's made improvements across the board. You know, Mobley, he's not going to contribute immediately. He's raw, but he's showed so many flashes uh, in preseason, summer league. And I think Jared Allen, you know, playing Jared Allen and Mobley, would be an easy way to ease him into the game where he's not asked to do too much. Yeah. Um, and the marketing thing, it's one of those things where a team like Cleveland, you got to take a chance on a talent like marketing. Marketing's a talented guy. He's not solving the defensive problems. He's a weird player in that he's not a big at all. He's become literally he's a wing and a or even a guard in a big's body. Yeah. But that's the kind of talent like Nance, you know his ceiling. He's he's gonna give you consistent production, but why not take a chance? And marketing will give them a little bit more offensive versatility and space the floor. So I, I just think these pieces are enough. At some point, a team like this is going to creep up to 28, 29 wins. Like they're not going to be you have to, in this. Yeah. And so I, I think I'm betting on that. So, you know, it's just past midnight Eastern right now. Sexton did not come to terms on a new deal, um, which means he's going to hit restricted free agency this summer. And yeah, the trade question, there was rumors all through the summer. Uh, he was involved in the Ben Simmons rumors. He was involved with other players. And that's going to hang over the team's head, potentially, unless they're able to put it aside. He's able to put it aside. Or, to your point, they could see some, we could see something midseason if, if it's not working out uh, to ship him somewhere else, knowing that they're not going to resign him this offseason. So, all right. Next up, we have the Detroit Pistons, who are 25 and a half over under. They are coming off getting the number one pick, taking Kate Cunningham. I think he was a little uneven in summer league. Uh, I don't think he lit the world on fire. I'd say the same about preseason, you know, but he's also not the kind of prospect we've talked about. It. He doesn't jump off the page, uh, but he does a lot of little things well. Um, so he's joining a very young nucleus, uh, Sadiq Bay, Killian Hayes, Isaiah Stewart, all expected to play much bigger roles this year. Plus Jeremy Grant, who was actually really good for them uh, as a 20 points per game scorer last year. If you had to say, will Grant end up on this team by season's end, I would actually lean no versus yes. Um, but other than that, they're going to try to get a lot of minutes out of their young core and I'm guessing lose a lot. So what are you at on 25 and a half? I'm going under here. This is just, it's just hard to justify the over because this is a completely rebuilding team. Like you said, even Jeremy Grant, like who knows what, if he's part of their long-term plans. This was a team that was on pace to win 23 last year. Now we're asking them to win 26. I, I don't see them being better than last year, even though like, obviously Cade is a, could be a generational talent, but from, given what we saw in summer league and preseason, he's not coming out of the gates and being the top scorer in the league or putting a, his impact, like his handprints all over this team in a way that's going to result in meaningful success just yet. So yeah. I, I think, and they're just too many young guys. Like literally this whole team is young guys. Like their vets are going to be what Kelly Olynyk, uh, Corey Joseph, 
Like those guys will be good locker room guys, but they're not moving the needle in terms of how this team plays. And so, yeah, this is just an experimental year. See what you got. See, can you still get Killian Hayes to, you know, like what is he as a player? Sadiq Bay, is he going to make the leap? Um, He had a really good rookie season. Um, That's what you're looking at. They got Josh Jackson to like maybe potentially reform his career. But this team's not, they're not going to, like, they'll barely snip 20, 22 wins. Yeah, we don't need to spend a ton of time on Detroit. I am under as well. The only thing I'll say about Cade, after watching about a half of Oklahoma State one time, I told you I didn't really see it with him, um, if you remember. And all through the tournament, then, you know, into the summer, there was just a lot of talk about how he was a different type of guy and he was still the de facto number one no matter what. I'm not obviously making any claims on him, but I still don't really see it with him. So I'm hoping to be proven wrong, but this is a, this is a comfortable under for me. So, um, all right, what's up next? The next one is the Indiana Pacers at 42 and a half. This team was a lottery team last year. A lot of controversy with Nate Bjorken and the team pretty much openly <laughs> rebelling against him. Despite um, your, uh, despite your like endorsement, like, heavy endorsement, of him heavy endorsement of him, uh, they got it to a great start. He looked good at at first until he, I don't know what he did. He burned all the bridges with that team. Um, but you look at them, you know, they are returning a lot of the same, the same cast of characters, right? Sabonis, Miles Turner, they just re-signed Malcolm Brogdon to a two-year extension. T.J. Warren still injured, but you know they're hoping to get him back this season. Uh, Mitch McConnell got re-signed. And then Chris Duarte was the big draft uh, uh, pick that they had. And he's been he's a guy that was expected to produce right from the get-go. And he's already shown that so far in preseason and summer league. So a lot of the same characters, but the biggest acquisition for them was Rick Carlisle, who's now their head coach. So this and brings a half. me to my second lock. I got Pacers over. Um, and you wow. said it exactly right there. Rick Carlisle is going to make this thing hum in a way that they haven't yet uh, under in, in recent in recent regimes. And the number one thing that they've had a problem with is how do you play Sabonis and Turner together effectively, right? Really well. Actually, the really number one problem is they're always hurt, and every player on their team seems constantly like be battling injuries, starting with Malcolm Brogdon. But aside from that, I think. Carlisle just came from a situation in Dallas where he actually had a good amount of experience playing a slow four in Porzingis with a more traditional five, even though they're both really fives. Granted, he had a guy named Luca on his team that kind of figured things out and, and plugged the gaps, but that was a historic offense. And I think he could run some of those same principles here um, where you have a big guard in Brogdon, you have a big guard in, in uh, Lamb. I don't know when Warren's coming back exactly. Like, he's still hurt. He could be out a while, but... Chris Duarte with the way he was shooting. And honestly, he's 23, 24 years old. Like he's ready to play right now. And I think his skill translates immediately. I think he's going to be a really good rookie. 42 and a half is, you know, again, I put them in the play and mix. I think this is uh, an over for me. And like I said, a lock just because coaching upgrade, they're all healthy for now other than Warren. Hopefully uh, Brogdon's able to stay that way. And I, I just really like Sabonis. I've always higher on him than I think other people seem to be. Um, but I think if he and Turner can stay on the court, that's going to be a good pairing that will do well on both ends of the court. So give me the over. All right. I've got the over too. <laughs> this is also one of my locks. Um, 
I was wrong about the Pacers last year. I will be right about them this year and just replace everything I said about Bjorken and put in the name Carlisle, and I can run the same talk track back. Look, this team is deep. Like you said, we don't know when Warren's coming back. Torrey Craig was another nice signing they had. Um, I know he didn't play a lot for Phoenix, uh, especially towards the end of the stretch, but he's he's a good 3 and D guy. I think that this, and this is a Pacers team, you know, before last year. Last year, Bjorken kind of threw everything uh, into disarray when he made them a faster-paced team. He had them running and gunning. It worked early in the season, but it wasn't really their identity. And you think about the Nate McMillan Pacer teams with the same cast of characters. They were always top 10 defensive units, made their bones on defense. Carlisle's not a defensive coach, but their challenge was always offensively. And I think for all the reasons you outlined, he's going to unlock them offensively. Their half-court offense is going to be more efficient, and they'll get back to those defensive roots. And I just think this team is going to be a – a hard team to beat every night, uh, as cliche as that is. And I think 42 and a half, you're asking them to go barely above 500. Um, I don't think that's a really big ask. And so I, I have the over, I have the lock. I think this team could be even a five seed. I, I think they could escape the the play in game even. Um, yep. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see. I mean, the way it's shaken out right now, there's always a restructure of who's actually going to be in that top six, right? And it feels like everybody's got the same six teams. You know, Bucks, Nets, Sixers, Hawks, Celtics, Heat in some order. There's going to be one of those teams that drops maybe that drops. more than that. Yep. And I think Indiana is right there to position to kind of take that over. Um, but, you know, wh- where the hell has Warren been, dude? Because he went, turned into Michael Jordan in the bubble and then basically <laughs> has been invisible since. Like, I know he barely played last year. He's hurt still this year, I think, with that foot injury. And, like, what's his timetable? And he had I'm, some weird tweets, too, that, like, made it – clear he's not coming back anytime soon yeah so i have no clue um, what his plan is and that could really throw a wrench into what we're saying right now because yeah, i mean he he went out on the top man like that is his career is never going to get better than what he did in the bubble and you might as well leave everyone with that yeah because the thing is they don't really have a pure score outside of what he could potentially be for them um and so that's that's the concern is like where are they going to generate offense from like they have guys who can get you 20 25 sabonis brogdon etc but not in a way that's yeah that's foolproof so yep all right next up is the miami heat um one of the more active teams in the offseason doled out a lot of money uh similar to atlanta similar to chicago so they're at 48 and a half um you know they lost to the bucks pretty convincingly in a sweep last year so they went out got kyle lowry swapped out uh goran Dragic for him re-signed duncan robinson to a big deal Gave out the Jimmy Butler extension. They had the Bam Max extension kicking in. They brought on PJ Tucker, Markeith Morris. Um, so a lot of moving pieces. You know, they still have Tyler Hero, Casey Okapala. Like they have a pretty soft bench once you get past the first six or seven names uh, on their roster. So where are you at with 48 and a half? I am going under on the Heat. Now, I know there's a lot of hype and Lowry and this and that and how he's perfect fit for that team. And they're due for like a positive regression. Last year was a weird year, a blip. Um, you know, their shooting fell off a cliff last season. They went from the second best three-point shooting team the year before to, to 19th in 2020. They'll get some of that back. The problem with this team is that they're just old. Like we talk about the Lakers being old and the Heat have obviously Hero and Duncan Robinson, but... Kyle Lowry, P.J. Tucker, Markeith Morris, another year for Jimmy Butler. 
Um, you know, these are some of the core guys you have. Obviously, Bam is young. And the injuries concern me. Butler's offensive drop-off towards the end of last season concerned me. I know he he put up an all-NBA-type season, but towards the end, really struggled with his shot. Um, they got waxed in the, the postseason by Milwaukee. Um, and I think that the problem I had with Bam is Bam made improvements on both ends last year. Like, offensively, defensively, he had a great season. But he still can't be that bona fide 1A guy when he's needed. And we saw yeah. that in the postseason. And when Jimmy Butler's struggling, that's where Kyle Lowry's going to help a lot. I just think 48 wins is so much for this team. And, and their team, that's also, they've got the eyes on the postseason. They're going to have guys resting, missing games in the regular season, and they'll fall in that 45, 46, 47 mark. I just don't see them being a 50-win team given the age and health of these guys. Yeah, I have this as an under, and I really debated making it one of my locks as well. So everything you said is fair. I think Eric Spolster will will get the most out of these guys, um, and then they'll play so hard night to night that they will win a lot of games like that. But I don't know that I like this team in the regular season or the playoffs. Um, I think the the finals run has kind of clouded our 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 evaluation of Miami and, and Jimmy Butler, right? Like Jimmy Butler is a great player. He's a top 15 player in the NBA, but he's not a tier one guy. And I think he looked like a tier one guy in the bubble. Um, you know, we just talked about tier, uh, TJ Warren who looked like a tier zero guy in the bubble. But <laughs> I think because of that and going kind of mano mano versus LeBron, even despite having no bam, no dragage, like it made us believe he's someone different than he is. And you look at this roster and you brought up the bam offensive game part. Like, I kind of feel the same about Lowry and Butler. Like there isn't a way to go get 25, 30 on good shooting, being able to hit big threes. Like it, everyone is going to have to work hard for their points and, you know, they'll make you work hard too on the defensive side. But, you know, Bill Simmons actually brought this up and I hate to give him credit here for a good point, but it was kind of like, what's your crunch time lineup going to be? Because if you play PJ Tucker, you're playing four on five on offense. And if you play Robinson and hero, instead you're playing three on five on defense. Yep. And, that is a really big problem for a team that I don't know that has enough firepower like to get to get past, you know, get very far in the in the playoffs. But even for the regular season, I just see them, you know, gutting it out a lot, winning some games close because they're a good defensive team, you know, well coached, all those kinds of things. But one injury to Bam or to Butler for even 10, 15 games, you know, they could be well under based on that. And so I'm going to assume that given their age and their mileage, that that's more likely to happen than not. And I'm going pretty comfortable under here. And, and the shot creation point's a good one because, you know, two years ago, the other big piece, not only was Jimmy Butler on fire, Tyler Hero, obviously he was shooting well, but he was creating offense for that team. Yeah. You know, and last year really struggled to have that same success. Um, like his shooting numbers, like off the dribble and, and they, none of them were great. Like his splits did not look great. So yeah. And, and he's I, looked better in the in the preseason uh, than he did last year, so it's possible that he, you know, whatever, like had a had a weird year, and now is kind of getting back to it. But I think you just got to temper expectations. Like, is he ever going to be a thirty-seven points in the in a finals critical game guy? Probably not. But um, yeah, that, I mean, dude, that was an out of body experience. He's still not believing that it happened, and so therefore, I don't know that we can necessarily. All right, let's move on to the defending. Champs, the Milwaukee Bucks, who their number set at 
this is a team that, you know, they brought back all the key guys. Um, they re-signed, uh, what's his face, Bobby Portis. Um, obviously, Giannis, Middleton, Drew were all locked in. They got George Hill, which is a mm-hmm. nice little pickup, Grayson Allen. So kind of bolstering their, their guard depth. Um, they added Rodney Hood, but they did lose P.J. Tucker, Bryn Forbes, and, and Jeff Teague. But the Jeff Teague is kind of an addition by subtraction. So 54 and a half, is it going to be the championship hangover, or is this team hungry enough to go over that? Based on the pull-up jumpers Giannis keeps hitting every night, I think it's going to be they're going, for, they're going for it again. And I think they recognize that as much as their title means every bit as much, you know, as much as just any title out there, there are those naysayers who talked about the injuries, who talked about Durant's foot, all these kinds of things. This team is still locked and loaded. I think they're hungry as if they're going for their first title. That starts with Giannis and his personality and his drive it permeates through the whole organization. Um, you know, Bud was coaching for his job like two weeks before he was winning a title. So it's not like anybody feels uh, fully kind of resting on the laurels right now. I got an over for the Bucks. I think this is going to be a 57-58 win team. I'm going with, guess what? Surprise, surprise, the over. Um, this is you just, this just done this together and like spoken <laughs> at the same time. So it's like one voice just saying it all. I mean, this is this team is a regular season juggernaut. Bud is a regular season coach. Uh, I mean, now he has, he's won a title, so you have to give him more credit than that. But he's always been good at putting together 61 seasons. Last year, I know they, they weren't on pace for 60, but the two years before that, they were 61 teams. Um, they've got good veteran depth. I think, you know, when you add guys like George Hill, uh, Ronnie Hood's not that great anymore, but he's, he's a body and Grayson Allen's perfect for this team. You think about, you know, he's 40% from three last year. I think he'll fit right in. Um, and look, this, there's no reason. And Giannis, just the kind of guy he is and the attitude he brings to the game. He's not going to be sitting on his laurels or taking it easy. So this team is going to be an easy over. I thought about making it a lock. I did not. Um, but you know what? If the Bucks, you know, we have the Bucks who can go back to back in the NBA potentially, and the Bucks can go back to back in the NFL. Like I think there's a good chance we see. There's a lot of poetry there. I'm rooting there's for a lot of poetry. those things to happen, uh, especially Bucks in the NFL. The the point about Allen and Hill is one of the things that I didn't even think through is like last year. Remember, it was almost like they had to trade off. Do they play defense with Tucker? And Connaughton, or do they go offense with Forbes? And now, in some ways, they don't have to make that choice uh, because both Allen and Hill are pretty competent. I mean, Hill's a, you know known to be a stout defender at this yep. age of his career. You know, who, who knows? But for the most part, those guys are solid two-way players. Um, and I think Portis at that discount was a joke, right? Like he seems to want the bird right, full bird rights to get the big deal next summer. I think he realizes how much more fun it is to play winning basketball than being on the Bulls and Knicks your whole career and the Wizards. And so um, he took a below market deal to come back. And, I, and that was very important because I think they were expecting to lose him, frankly. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, I think they're, they're going to be really good. And I can't wait to see what tomorrow night looks like because I think both teams really want that one. Uh, I know it's just game one, but – you know, LeBron would always like lose game ones and, it, you know, he'd sort of do it on purpose where yep. it's almost like the Aaron Rodgers relaxed thing, like intentionally yep. trying to tell people to calm down. I don't think Giannis or KD are ready to do that. I think they're both going to go for it from the opening tip. No, for sure. For sure. So, so that, that's going to be a good game. Yep. 
All right. Am I up next? All right. The Knicks, uh, 41 and a half, uh, had an amazing season last year, starting with Julius Randle, who made All-NBA, which was unbelievable for him and what he had accomplished previously in his career, which was always a good, not great player. Uh, they added Kemba and Fournier, like you mentioned, from Boston. Um, they re-signed Derrick Rose, re-signed Erlens Noel, re-signed Alec Burks. Uh, they have their complement of young prospects from all those years of losing. R.J. Barrett, quickly, Toppin, Kevin Knox that could be involved. Mitchell Robinson's healthy. So they have a lot of guys on this team. Um, they're still going to have to figure out what that rotation looks like. I think Taj Gibson's back also, and you know Tibbs is going to play him. So where are you at on 41 and a half? You give me the over, give me the lock. This is let me look, just stop you over- and say this is my third lock over as well. <laughs> oh god. So. This team look, everyone knows they overachieved last year. They're one hundred percent gonna regress this year. But to five hundred, like that is such a Tim seems always carry a high floor. I think they'll easily hit five hundred. Um and I just love the offensive firepower they added. I mean, you got Kemba and you got Fournier. And what was the biggest thing missing for them last postseason? When Randall couldn't get things going, they could not generate offense. Um, RJ Barrett is still a young guy. Alec Burks is, uh, I mean, these guys were journeymen, right? Some of these guys they had on their roster. I really think that Fournier and Kemba, uh, if Fournier plays like he did in the Olympics, and, and Kemba, I still think as long as he's healthy, he's still got stuff, you know, something in the tank. They're going to help on offense. They've got a deep rotation at guards. So even if Kemba misses games or some of these guys miss games, they have a a stable of guards. Um, And quickly and RJ Barrett are just going to get better. Like they've been improved or quickly as a rookie, but RJ has been improving. Um, You know, they're going to be a good defensive team. Like why will this team not win? Go 500. I just don't see it. Like they have to be an over lock. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love what the Knicks did in the off season. I think Randall was under, he was overqualified to be a role player like he was on, you know, those Pelicans teams with Anthony Davis. He was really not prepared for this role, and he played it amazingly all year. But when you got to the playoffs and it got to, like, where you can really scout a guy and prepare for him, you could see that kind of falling apart. And I think that's what happened with um, with him. It's what happened with Barrett. And suddenly our Derrick Rose was playing 35 minutes a night and taking 20 shots. And so – they addressed it. Will Kemba's knees hold up? Who the hell knows? I think for the most part in the regular season, he can do, you know, he can get there. When he played last year, he was uneven, but I think he had spurts where he looked really good, like his old self. Um, you have, uh, you know, Rose there. You have Quickly there. You have Baird there. There's a lot of guards that can take the pressure off of him in a pretty meaningful way. So hopefully – as much as Tibbs is not uh, conditioned to do this, hopefully they can bring him along slowly so that he's fresh uh, towards the back half of the year. But I love this Knicks team. I think they're going to be in the play and mix. And I think uh, it's going to be so fun to see Madison's Square Garden for the full season. We got the taste in the playoffs, but then they ended up getting smoked. Um, so to see it kind of play out throughout the course of the year, I think will be a lot of fun. Yeah, and it'll be it'll be exciting just to watch any uh, Trey Knicks game, even the regular season. It's going to feel yep. like Reggie Miller back in the garden. Um, I just love that that can be a rivalry now. Yep. Or potential. All right. Next team, you're doing it, but let's spend like under a minute. Orlando Magic. <laughs> they are at 22 and a half. Um, of course, one of the bottom teams last year, the big addition they made is obviously drafting Jalen Suggs, drafting Franz Wagner. 
Um, other than that, a lot of the same guys, they added Robin Lopez, lost Otto Porter, but you know, this is a team where you've, you still got Fultz, who's going to be healthy now. You've got Jonathan Isaac, who's going to be healthy. Uh, they have some guys from the trades last year, Wendell Carter Jr., RJ Hampton. Um, obviously, Bo Obama's still there. So what is this team going to be better than 22 and a half? I think this might be the lowest number. In the I think it's the lowest number in the league. Or Houston might be. No, Houston no, Houston's is higher. Okay. Houston's higher. Yeah, I'm going under. Um, it's a really low number. Uh, to to win 22 or fewer games is very hard, so I understand that I'm setting myself up for failure here, but I, I, I don't like almost anyone on this team as a long-term piece and I, other than Suggs, and I think it's very hard for young, especially rookie point guards, to have positive impact. It's just too hard to play that position, and He's going to make a lot of mistakes, and they're going to be okay with it, and I'm going under. All right, not much more to say here. I went under. They're bad. Uh, it's a pure rebuild year. I think any wins they got last year were all front-loaded when Vooch and Fournier were still there. This team in the second half of the season was downright atrocious. Suggs is not going to change that much. They're still going to be bad under. All right. Next up, maybe the second most talked about team in the offseason, the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, they have an over-under of 50-and-a-half. Uh, Eastern Conference semifinals last year. Embiid, for now, Simmons, he's back, and he's practicing with the team. May even play tomorrow night, or Wednesday night, excuse me. Um, Tobias Harris, Seth Curry, Danny Green, they pretty much brought the band back. The only real major rotation change was swapping out you know, Dwight Howard for Andre Drummond, who's Embiid's punching bag and now teammate. You know, they expect Maxi to take a leap. They expect Shake Milton to play a bigger role. Cork Maz, you know, a lot of the same names that we've been bouncing around with the Sixers for a long time. So where are you at on 50 and a half? I'm going over. Uh, I know there's a lot of questions with Simmons and him out. Whatever you think of Simmons, that's a big hit. Um, I just think you can bank on guys like Thibel, Maxi to continue to develop. Uh, the rest of the roster is pretty consistent, like you said. It, they're running back a lot of the same team. This team was a juggernaut last season. Um, you know, even when Embiid went down for, uh, there's a ten game stretch where he was out, and they went seven and three. And of course, that was with Simmons, and who knows if he's with the team. But they, I think, they're built to be a pretty solid regular season team and can withstand some of the injury concerns with Embiid. So I like the over, but I could easily see this. You know, this team could implode and. It could get a lot worse, but I'm going with over. I went under. Uh, so we had had a streak of quite a few where we agreed. So I went under, and the reason was basically I expect Embiid to miss his customary 20 to 25 games. And without Simmons kind of holding the ship together, potentially, if he's gone by then or if he's you know actively tanking on the court. The man showed up at practice today. with you know, On the practice court, he had a cell phone in his pocket. So... That just about tells you where he's at mentally with this team and, and the situation. So I don't know how that's going to play out. Maybe when the ball is, gets thrown up, it's all good and we'll go back to playing basketball. But I think he's looking long and hard at the James Harden playbook last year and trying to you know get to something similar. He was already ticked off about losing the money. That's basically the only reason he's shown up, right? He didn't think that they were going to hold that money in escrow. He thought he'd get paid and then the fines would be minimal. So the fact that they did that, he's in camp. He doesn't want to be there, and I think that's going to really derail this team. And as for as much talk as Tyrese Maxey and all this other stuff, I just haven't seen him be able to run an NBA offense. I've seen him being like a kind of like a, 
microwave off the bench and giving them some good energy and good minutes and good shots, at, but to actually run an NBA offense, which they badly need because none of their other players are even partially equipped to do it, right? Seth Curry, Danny Green, Tobias Harris, Tybal, none of those guys are ball handlers other than maybe Curry. But even Curry is more of like a DHO guy with Embiid, not someone who's going to initiate, uh, you know, your sets. And so I'm going under. I know they were really good last year, but there's just too much of a mess around this team for me to feel comfortable with it. That's fair. That's fair. I think, uh, you know, I, one thing I'll say is Doc Rivers, as much uh, for all the flaws Doc Rivers has in the postseason, he gets a lot out of his teams in the regular season. So part of my my bet on this is just banking on him getting the most out of this roster in the regular season. But it all comes down to Embiid's health, ultimately. All right. Toronto Raptors. They're at 36 and a half. Uh, this is a team that played in Tampa last year um, due to COVID and had a really poor season. Um, finished in the lottery. This year, they they lost Kyle Lowry, but they added Goran Dragic uh, instead from the Heat. Precious Ashua. Uh, they drafted Scotty Barnes. Um, so added a couple of pieces, but once again, still a lot of questions around how good is this team really now that they don't have Lowry and obviously they're years away from that Kawhi postseason run. So what do you got? Yeah. I mean, there's one side of me that's like, Hey, let me just bet with, you know, Masai and Nick nurse who are maybe the best GM coach combo in the league. And there's another side of me that looks at this and says, I don't see the top end talent like I have in years past. And as much as we want to attribute last year to Tampa, maybe there's a little bit more to that too. Um, you know, they were 500 before they had a pretty bad COVID outbreak. So it's possible that this team will get back to those heights. I went under. Um, and then some of that is like, I just don't know how much I love the fact that they have a lot of raw wings without, you know, other than Siakam, not a lot of proven scorers on the wing. And then the other fact being the they still don't have any bigs. They got absolutely dominated last year. Uh, Boucher is okay. He he could be a good player. Not necessarily like, you know, an 80-game starter at this point in his career. And then finally, I don't know who's going to be on this roster come February, March. Uh, you look at Dragic. Dallas is obviously pushing hard for him. You look at Anunobi, Siakam. Those guys' and names have been in Ben Simmons' trade talks and maybe for other players if things don't, you know, if things go south, they that's a – and Siakam, Siakam has a very tradable contract, would be super attractive to a lot of contenders. I could see Toronto really kind of pulling the plug on this. And the reality is they took Barnes over Suggs. Suggs was clearly a more NBA-ready player today. They feel like Barnes had the higher upside long-term. And I think that kind of tells you what they feel about their franchise direction and where they're at right now. So I'm going under. All right, give me the over. I'm taking the over on the Raptors. First of all... How are you going to disrespect your boy, Chris Boucher, like that? <laughs> you just called him okay. Last year, this dude was on your MVP ballot halfway through the season. So I was ready uh, to I was ready to name the most improved award after him first after and, him, then yeah. give, and then give it to him. Um, look, I, there's a lot of reasons to be skeptical about this team. I just think Goran Dragic is the perfect guy to stabilize the point guard position after you lose Lowry. Obviously, nowhere as close to good on defense, but offensively can fill in a lot of those gaps. And you talk about a lot of young, unproven wing talent. I think that makes them exciting. I think defensively, they can be scary. They can play five wings, one through five. They could play Precious Ashua, Boucher, Ananobi, Scotty Barnes. Um, 
I'm missing a name, but like they, Siakam, that, yeah. those five crazy lineup. But I think they have so much defensive versatility that um, that's going to help them and have a higher floor. And I just think playing back in, in Tampa is playing in, in Tampa cannot be overstated how yeah. difficult that was. And this is a team that, you know, in Bill Simmons' words, that was the year from hell for them. It could not have gone worse. Siakam fighting with Nick Nurse, the obviously Tampa thing. And so they just need to win five or six more games to be on pace to win five or six more this season. And I think they can hit that. I think they're going to barely hit it, but I think they will hit it, miss the playoffs, but still go over. The reality is there's, if you look at the over-unders, there's like six or seven teams that are within this like five-win range. And it's going to be a coin flip who pops and who doesn't, right? Like you got the Knicks, Bulls, Hornets, uh, Pacers, Raptors, kind of all within that six to seven win range. Yep. You know, and and a lot of that's going to be they they are going to all play each other. It's all going to be like a very much like okay, they can't all go. So how are you going to decide which horse to back? And right now it's it's a toss up. I mean, Toronto has the pedigree. They still have the championship nucleus in a lot of ways. Um, they did lose their leader. To me, the question is, does Dragic have anything left? Because it didn't seem like he had much left in Miami. Um, now, that could be for a lot of reasons. He was coming off injury. He was just generally, like, maybe he, he knew he was on the way out since the Kyle Lowry, like, flirtation started so <laughs> far into the you know previous season. So that'll be interesting. But I also wonder if he's providing that veteran leadership for Dallas by, like I said, February. So, All right. Final team. Um, this one, this team is, people are saying it's one of the preeminent franchises in the NBA, um, especially this year where they have true championship potential. I'd say probably one of four teams that has a legitimate stake at winning the title. Um, and that is the Washington Wizards, who have an over-under of 34 and a half, um, very secretively low given their title chances. But they... They were part of probably the biggest transaction this offseason, moving Russell Westbrook to uh, the Lakers. They got depth back finally with uh, KCP, Kyle Kuzma, uh, Montrezl Harold. They signed and traded uh, for Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, where are you at with with um, with Washington at 34 and a half? Still have Beal and want to convince him to stay. So this is not a team at this point looking to tank. You're not going to like this. I've got the under. Now, last year, I was an emphatic over. We both were all aboard the the B, the wizard hype train, and they were such a big disappointment. I'm not doing that to myself again. <clears throat> Look, I I just think that I know they've got some good pieces now. Dinwiddie, Kuzma, Harrell. A lot of people are talking about this being one of the deeper teams in the league when you look across their roster. I just don't see them being that good. Uh I don't see any of those additions really moving the needle. Who's the number two guy for for Beal? It's Dinwiddie. Like this team still has not made significant improvements. It's all marginal. I don't think there's enough playmaking on this team uh, without Westbrook. Like who's you know who's handling the rock? Ish Smith? No, he, he lost Ish Smith. Who's the point guard on this team? First of all, if you watched the first half of last season, like I know everyone was like hyped about Russ and this and that all NBA. He was horrible the first half of the year to the point that he was actually a net negative on the court for them. So just moving to depth, moving to more balanced shot, shot taking. It's not just going to be two guys shooting 55 times between them and everyone stands around and just like 
you know, twiddles their thumbs. It's going to be actual ball movement, actual defensive concepts. I love the over here. Um, <laughs> of course. <laughs> dude, we were starting Raul Neto at the power forward last year in the playoffs. Like, Ben Simmons looked like LeBron James in round one before he looked like actually Ben Simmons in round two. So that's how good we made him look. Given, Think about this. He played so well against the Wizards. Nobody even talked about it because of how bad he was against Atlanta. Imagine if he was even average against us. The Boo Birds would have been much, much stronger than they were. We had no depth. We were playing D League, sorry, G League level, replacement level players night to night. Scott Brooks can't even, it literally cannot understate the, the upgrade from Scott Brooks to anyone with a functioning pulse, much less someone who came from the Denver Nuggets Jokic system. This is a clear over. 34 and a half. They don't even have to do anything crazy. They don't have to, uh, you know, even make the play in and they could hit this over. Why is it not your lock then? Because I'm trying to play with my head, not my heart. And sometimes I wear my heart on my sleeve like it's the new fashion. <laughs> All I'll say is Corey Kispert has looked atrocious. Uh, <laughs> He's not going to play. He Rui, you don't even know where Rui's stuck in Japan somewhere still. He may never come back ever. He um, just landed, I think, minutes ago. Oh, he's he did? Back. He's back in D.C. He's going through COVID protocols. He's. I, I saw you guys, uh, I think, during the course of this pod, or maybe right before, Gafford got his... Uh, he got Three-year, $40 million extension, a little bit of... I think that's a great number for him. Um, not, not a super overpay. So that's going to be good. He can now play a little bit more freely. They're going to eventually have to figure out the log jam at forward and center. But, you know, they can take their time with that and see what works and what doesn't. I'll leave you with this. This team reminds me of the Sacramento Kings year after year with DeMarcus Cousins, where you'd put some decent role players around him. You'd convince yourself in having, you know, Cousins is a great talent. They're going to win. Our number would always be 33-35, and I'd always be like, lock over. How is this team going to not go over? And they'd always go under. This team just reeks of those years where it's just a bunch of random pieces around one superstar with no cohesive plan, a new coach, and you think everything's going to be fine. I don't. The difference it. is 2021 Beal is better than 2016 Cousins. Yeah, 20. Well, let's see if Beal even stays on this team. What, what if they're so bad that he gets traded midseason? So once DC puts in a vax mandate, we're all fucked anyway. So <laughs> he's not going to be able to play. I think there's one or two other guys that might not be able to play. So we'll see what happens. Um. All right, my computer is dying, which is a good way to start. I'm still rusty. We're still working our, the kinks out, um, but great to be back. Again, we'll be back tomorrow night um, with the Western Conference as well as awards predictions. So to quickly recap, Hawks, we both went over. Celtics, both under. Nets, I was over, you were under. Charlotte Hornets, we were both under. Bulls and Cavs, we were both over. Pistons, both under. Pacers both over. There's a lot of debate during this. This feels like first take 2.0. I'm glad we were able to <laughs> rework that part of the show. Uh, Heat, we're both under. Bucks, Knicks, we're both over. Magic, Sixers, we're sorry. Magic, we were both under. Sixers, I was under, you were over. Raptors, I was under, you were over. Wizards, I was over, you were under. My three locks, Hawks over, Pacers over, Knicks over. Yours were Hornets under, Pacers over, and Knicks over as well. So we got, we're aligned rooting interests. We're either going to finish this as like the smartest people on earth or never talk about this episode Just again. Crash once. and burn. Yeah, exactly. So 
Any any final thoughts? No, man. Uh, I'm excited. I mean, we got one more of these episodes, but uh, just excited for the season to be back and to be back on the pod. All right. Back well, to agree rate- on everything, as always. Yeah. <laughs> please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin Hoops on all major podcast platforms. Let us know on Instagram, Twitter, or otherwise, uh, anything you want to see for this upcoming season. If you are close friends with any uh, high-level NBA personnel or media, let us know. Um, we always are looking for a good tip here and there to to get some guests on, mix things up, and hopefully we're going to have some fun with everyone uh, season three. Um, so thanks for listening, and uh, we will talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>